This is a recording from a Sunday meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. Humanism is a progressive worldview that, without supernaturalism, affirms our ability and responsibility to lead meaningful, ethical lives capable of adding to the greater good of humanity. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca and make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of our staff or board of directors. I told Ian that I was really impressed he found me and other people and other speakers, and I think that must be a full-time job. I'm glad you're paying him. Um, So I I really want to just already refute what Ian said. I'm not really going to talk totally about what... uh, um, I'm going to talk about inequality, but not how poor people uh, have worse inequality, uh, worse equality entirely. So we, uh, five of us have been doing this study, and there were others along the way, but we've been doing this study for about 10 years. So <clears throat> we're studying British Columbia, and the, the interesting part about BC is it's one of the few places in the world where you could do a study like this. Uh, and that's because everybody in the population gets counted if they get sick. If you break your leg, if you have cancer, whatever, you go to a doctor. And because we have universal health care, which is almost non-existent in the world, uh, usually it's a two-tiered system, we have everybody going to a doctor gets counted for whatever reason. And then within Canada, so Canada is the prime place to do research like this. And then on top of that, there are only three provinces that allow you to, um, researchers to have access to those data. So really, it's, it's incredibly unique. And But we are British Columbians as well, so it's the obvious place to, to do this kind of research. Uh, we're really looking at indigenous people and and how they differ in their health status than the rest of the people and if they're if it's changing over time and so we've got about four million people in the province we got the data for the the total amount of data you could ever get in BC, which is almost 30 years, and we're looking at changes over time. People who identify as an Aboriginal in this province could be either Inuit, First Nations, or Métis, and they're all lumped together, and that's fine with us, but most of the people are First Nations rather than Inuit, and that's about 5% of the population. And we have, so we're looking at the whole uh, population. So what we know about, um, um, injury. We used injury, but it could have been almost any disease, diabetes, anything. But injury was our interest uh, because of some of our, our researchers. But what we do know is Indigenous people have worse health status and they have higher risk of injuries all over the world. Uh, we also know that, and, and that's true for almost every disease, breast cancer is a little bit different, so there are little anomalies, but there's mostly the same everywhere. And that the disparities are shown across countries, sex, income levels. And in Canada, we know this to be true for sure. And so our research questions is, is it changing over time? And which sectors can we look at so that we can uh, use our public health uh, talents and advise governments and say, look, you need to look at the north or the men or whatever. So that's what our interest was, to uh, influence public policy and... 
um, we, as we have to apply, you, you have to do a whole pile of stuff to make sure that you're never going to know who anybody is who was injured and you can't have small numbers and various things but you make this application and we ended up getting every hospitalization every person who was uh, came out of a hospital vital statistics and we used census and we had to use the census and the vital statistics because once we looked at a different areas of the province, we had to know what their income levels were or their various other things. Otherwise, you get the hospital data and you don't know anything about who these people are. You just know they were in injured. But on top of that, we are the first people to ever do a study where we've identified Indigenous people. And it was just almost impossible uh, for a long time in BC. There was one other study done in the 1990s, and then you couldn't do it. But how we can do it, because what we did is they, there's a slightly different health number for Indigenous people, and the d number is different because the federal government pays for prisoners and Indigenous people, so we could look at that health number. And so it was incredibly tricky and difficult to figure out, but we did. And then we looked at the, the postal code communities to see income level and education level. Uh, the Indigenous uh, health number... Um, it worked, but it won't work for the rest of for time immemorial because eventually the provinces will take over the health care uh, and the money will be transferred. But so we were able to do this. This is what our results showed. Uh, the two top lines that are coming down dramatically are Indigenous people, males and females, the bottom two lines. So this is really good news. The health, from 1986, I think this number was, uh, to now uh, the health, the injury rates are coming down tremendously. And uh, all good news. And for Indigenous people, that that is coming down incredibly, dramatically. So we could have stopped here and said, this is good news, everything's working out. But as uh, researchers with more questions in our head all the time, what we were worried about is this ending here. Even though it's come down so much, it's actually Indigenous people are about three times the risk of non-Indigenous people. So we wanted to see, well, if we did futurist projections, would that just close eventually? Could we give up and, and do what we're ever doing right now, putting in more seat belts and policing alcohol use during uh, driving or fix the back stairs so there are no falls? What, what could we do when we could maybe sit back and do nothing? But uh, as it turns out, that's not what happened. So we also wanted to know as maybe the hospitalizations were the place where the gap was not quite close. So we looked at people going to doctors, primary health care, and pretty much the same patterns happening, but the gap isn't closing. So we're thinking, well, that's not it. No matter where you, whatever your injuries are, if you end up in hospital or you just go to your doctor, still that gap is there, and that's what bothered us the most. Uh, we also looked at workers' compensation, and that's a very odd anomaly. You see it's all over the place, and what we ended up looking there is when the economy's good, people get more jobs, and then they get more jobs in the forestry industry and in uh, mining where the, where the risk is huge. So, in fact, uh, we could almost plot the economy on the workers' compensation, and it wasn't much use to us, but it was pretty interesting, and if anybody wants to pick that up, we can... 
look at safety in, in industry or to make a change. Then we started to look, well, what, what is it that, what is it that's keeping this gap from not closing? It is a different sectors of society. So we took out looking at children separately. The same pattern exists. They're not really, the gap isn't closing. So we had to work harder and harder and harder to figure out what to do. Because if the gap's closing for children, all we could do is tell the public health people to work more harder on avoiding accidents with children or with adults or whatever. We still could not get anywhere. Uh, but. I have to tell you that most researchers would stop then and just say this is, this is the answer. Um, so the next step we did is look at different categories of injury and thought, well, maybe we can find out if transportation or falls or uh, intentional injuries. Iatrogenic is um, medically-based injuries, and it's a pretty important uh, category. It means that... Um, you might have been over-prescribed uh, drugs or um, misdiagnosed or something else happened within the medical system. There's no reason why Indigenous people should have any different from non-Indigenous people in that category, but in fact they did. Is there, are there medical people in the field? Do you, can you explain what uh, 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 iatrogenic is better than I am? Iatrogenic is uh, a nice word for saying it's caused by the doctor. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, see, you, you did it way better than I did. <laughs> okay, so uh, and, and what we found is in all categories, the risk fell dramatically, but still the same problem was indigenous populations had much higher risk. Uh, and in most categories, females had a higher risk, and that's obviously in falls. It's not obvious in iatrogenic, but it, it was a it, it was an issue we were worried about. Oh, the intentional injuries means um, there's some intention behind it, so it could be uh, committing suicide or violence. But so it's either uh, intentional by somebody else or by your own self. Um, so we're, we were not getting much further ahead, except the obvious thing then is to look at patterns across the provinces. The north, the north always has more injuries than the south, and it's probably because they have to drive further distances or less time to get to a doctor or a hospital, fewer hospitals, in fact. Uh, but we always, we always have a higher rate there, but it wasn't helping us any. So I'm going to take one example. The, um, instead of going through them all, because it would bore you hugely. Uh, and anyway, uh, I want to mention that if you have questions throughout, uh, I, I can slow down and answer your questions, so tell me. So I'll just take this one example instead of going through them all. This is the intentional injuries. Um, and the, the rates of uh, 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 that dropped over the years are the ones in red. So if we look at the total BC population males, the the risk dropped 56% over that that period, which is just huge. Like, uh, and you wouldn't know from the indigenous population females 65%. You wouldn't know that listening to the news over the last couple of years about indigenous communities have huge suicides and violence rates. We, and and that's absolutely 
true in many communities in Canada, and as we've been mostly hearing about um, northern Saskatchewan or northern Ontario, and, and that is absolutely devastating and horrible, but um, you, in general, across a whole population, the rates are dropping hugely. So although I think we do need to pay attention to those towns where there's an influx of suicides, in fact, the picture isn't as bleak as what we would hear. Uh, it's really important for those communities to get media attention and start getting some federal government attention, but it's not really what's happening all over, all over the, at uh, least in BC. And there's no reason to think that it's different in other provinces. Yeah. What is S? Okay, uh, I'm sorry, I am an academic, so I had to put those rates in too. So that's standardized uh, risk ratio, and it means it's the statistical change over time. So it's the risk that you started with. Uh, the risk might have been, um, uh, uh, an example would be, say, uh, I'm just, the risk for females, indigenous, it was five times, 5.15 times the average before, if you clump everybody together, they had 5.15 times the risk in uh, 1991, and the risk has gone down to, they now have 1.79 times the risk. So that's the statistical analysis that we came to these percent. So that's a 65% drop. So is that does that make it? Yeah, yeah. I should have explained that at the beginning. I, I'm sorry. As an academic, we can't help but put those in, in there. <laughs> anyway, so these are huge drops. It's all looking good, but uh, you know, we still don't. We don't want any. What we don't really want is any change between uh, indigenous, uh, any higher risk between indigenous people and non-indigenous people. And you know from the inquiries on murdered and missing women that we don't even want women to have a higher rate too. So our interest as researchers is well, how can we make it equal and, and reduce it for everybody instead of reducing it for some populations or others. We, we want no risk. <coughs> Um, I'm not sure why this isn't coming up, but I'll... I'll. So we, we based our original research on some really important work uh, of Chandler and Lalonde, who are um, Victoria people. Well, no, Lalonde is a Victoria person. Chandler was UBC. He's long retired. But they did some really important work, and their work was the, one of the other few studies where uh, indigenous people could be identified. And that was a little bit of time way back in the early 90s where the government let some let identification happen. <laughs> we, we had to do it a bit differently. But what they found, they were looking at suicide, and I'll just explain this over the next couple of slides because it's incredibly important work. So they, they looked at suicide across uh, youth in BC for indigenous people because it, was such, it seems to be such an important issue and everybody talks about it. So what they found is that most of the 2000, uh, 203 bans in BC, there was no suicide, but we talk about suicide across BC and especially in the indigenous communities. So 
most of them had no suicides at all, so let's not do big prevention work across all of BC because it would be of absolutely no use. So they tried to look at the, the uh, where the indigenous, where the suicide rates were. And instead of saying, well, okay, we have to give people antidepressants or get somehow work on the individual. They were looking at the whole community. And what they found, they used seven or eight factors. I'll, t I'll tell you about the eighth one in the in the minute. But they looked at these factors within the community. And the community were things like you were working on lands claims. They called them cultural continuity because some were based in the past. You had people in your community who spoke uh, spoke the indigenous language, or you had elders you could go to. So these were all sociological, cultural, local community. They're nothing to do with the individual, and that's what we're basing our work on too. Let's look at what's happening in the communities rather than what's happening for an individual, because that's way harder and sometimes it's useless work. So they look. Uh, they're they're. Some of the things they looked at were self-government, it, it actually, uh, or or land claims. There were hardly any land claims in BC when they were doing when they were doing their work. But are you looking towards land claims? Are you starting to work on land claims? Uh, did you do you have control over your education and health and police? And it, so those are the present things. Do you have control over them, or is the provincial government have control over them? Come in and, and tell you what you're doing in your schools. Um, and there's one, the second to last one. After they did their original work, they sent a student back and looked at wherever band councils had more women, their suicide rates were lower. So all you have to do then, if you're a public health person, is vote in more women. So, so you see, we're, we're, we're taking this from a public health perspective that has way different implications than uh, doing individual counseling or antidepressants or something else. So it's just such an interesting field. And you can see my enthusiasm. And I don't know if I'm... Uh, <laughs> okay. So if, so the second, the, the, where it's just orange, they didn't even... Uh, these... Uh, factors they had. It didn't even matter which ones, but if you had more of the factors, you had fewer uh, uh, risk for suicide. So it, it didn't, you, could have, you could have control over police and land claims. That's two. That would be enough to see. So the, the number of factors you had, the, the one on the end, the six, you have almost no suicide. So and, the, and if you had only one factor, the suicide rates were above 20%. So, you know, so this, is, this is how we can start making changes in our, our society, not by uh, what, what we're currently doing. So then, we, so we had to go back and start looking at what factors. What, why is that gap still there? So we looked at geography, and people living in metropolitan areas have lower suicide. Living off reserve for indigenous people. So if you, if you lived on reserve in in uh, isolated communities, you had higher rates of injury. And this was mostly across the board for different, you know, whether it was falls or transport or whatever, or uh, iatrogenic. So uh, indigenous populations living in metropolitan areas off reserve were still had 2.3 times the risk of, than the rest of the population. This, this is just unacceptable, really. So what, what are we going to do to change it? Uh, the only um, economic 
uh, indicator we could find was living in a house that needed major repair. Well, that might be obvious for injury, but really it didn't matter your income or how many people, how overcrowded the house was. If, if, it, if it was in disrepair, there were higher rates, which is sort of an odd thing. Uh, also, the obvious thing about working is if you worked in a job with high hazardous, like forestry, that's an, and and indigenous ethnicity. Now that that doesn't make sense. Like if we've got the same hospital systems and the same laws about wearing seat belts, we didn't. It just didn't make sense. But this is where I wanted to refute what you uh, your introduction to me. So nearly everything in health says that if you've got a lower socioeconomic status you have higher rates of whatever. And I told you one, breast cancer is the one, uh, one anomaly. There are a few of them, but there are not many. So if you're poor, you're more likely to have nearly every disease. The obvious one we hear about is diabetes, but injury worldwide is the same thing. But here's where the final answers for us were, and the most interesting part is we, we looked at in, uh, socioeconomic uh, factors in injury, and and they didn't appear in iatrogenic or intentional injury risk, but they did for transport and falls. And maybe we can, uh, so if we have everybody equal in socioeconomic status in the province, we probably can reduce, uh, we can, uh, that risk uh, and that gap between indigenous and non-indigenous people. But we found that only to be two for transportation and falls. And maybe that's obvious. If you get a newer car and there are better safety features or if you fix the back steps or whatever, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out better. But we really, I mean, to change socioeconomic status in, and, and uh, reduce inequality is a huge issue. We all have to do something different. We have to provide more job opportunities and better education. But that still, if we did that, and that's what health people do all over Canada and all over the world. You, you, you know this. You know this to be a factor, but actually over the last 10 years, and particularly, uh, I hate to bring in politics, but over Harper's era, we were widening that gap. So we had a bigger difference in socioeconomic. And it's the absolute opposite of what we want to do in public health. But it was an era where... I don't mean it was just Harper doing it. It was a, a, a few years in there that it was actually we're widening the gap, and so the public health people are throwing up their arms, saying, "Well, you might as well go home, because you're not listening to us." <laughs> but uh, that, but even then, the socioeconomic uh, differences would only work in favor of two categories of ma two major categories of injury, and that's transportation and falls. The rest it didn't make any difference. If we change, if we did our statistical analysis and took out the socioeconomic factors, it wasn't it wasn't going to make any changes in different risks. So, what we found is ethnicity was the issue for two categories: iatrogenic and uh, intentional injuries. So. Just being indigenous meant you had higher risk. And, and even out all those other factors, geography, socioeconomic factor, gender, everything, you, you just being indigenous. Now, it really is difficult to be saying that. We don't want to be thinking, well, we might say, 
we might um, end up saying for some categories, maybe in, uh, indigenous people take more risks. But with iatrogenic, there, that, uh, it's not you taking the risk. It's the medical people uh, <laughs> subjecting you to higher risk. So um, our public health message is that it's not necessarily socioeconomic background or poor people have higher rates of anything. And, and I, we don't know anybody that's come to these conclusions, but we also don't know anybody that's worked so hard or had access to such great data. So even when the socioeconomic stat uh, disparities diminish, uh, we will still have unequal rates of injury in iatrogenic and intentional injuries. So being indigenous itself is a problem. So mostly what I was just saying is that everybody in public health says, well, if you reduce poverty or increase urbanization, like make the uh, incomes and job opportunities equal and put everybody in uh, urban centers, we're gonna reduce injury. But that is not what we're found here. So what we, what we need to do that for some categories of injury and other health issues, sorry. But um, this other weird thing what we found is that being indigenous is a risk factor in itself. But that doesn't mean indigenous people need to do anything different. It means the rest of us have to do something differently. Being indigenous in Canada means you don't have equal opportunity to education or to jobs or to housing or to um, I mean, the, the systemic racism for indigenous people is unbelievable here and nearly everybody else, everywhere else in the world. So that behoves the rest of us to do something differently, not indigenous people. So uh, the, the socioeconomic stuff, we can, we can provide more uh, uh, opportunities, but the racism, it's, it's everybody in this room and everybody who provides services and land claims and all the other stuff that goes on with being indigenous. And until Canada deals with its ongoing and systemic racism and post-colonial uh, heritage that indigenous people endure, disparities, um, rates for self-injury and assaults and medically, medical area, area, errors will persist. So that's totally different than the usual message being that um, all you have to do is do something about our poverty in Canada. Uh, so I've got three implications for decision makers. Uh, don't just keep working on poverty, but poverty and racism matter. For researchers being persistent, like we've, we've spent 10 years on this. Well, we, we started a little bit within communities, having communities uh, do their own data collection, but that wasn't, that didn't help much. And so it wasn't a total of 10 years, but we've been pretty persistent to get to the bottom line here, not stop at the beginning saying, hey, we're doing really well dropping these rates. But for all of us, I think poverty and racism matter, and we should listen to what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission told us. And the murdered and missing women, um, 
inquiry that's going on right now, those are individuals telling their stories. And everybody can say, but that's not the kind of research. Those are just people telling their stories. They're telling exactly what we're telling from a different point of view. And that's pretty exciting, too. So these are my colleagues. We were funded by the federal government's research um, group called CIHR, Canadian Institutes of Health Research. The particular one we were funded were, was uh, Institute of Aboriginal People's Health. And then the data, st uh, those are my colleagues. The five of us have worked hard on this. And um, the data stewards over in BC who've worked for our, these are all the publications we ended up with. And there's just a picture of a community. <laughs> Thank you.